God, we do praise you that uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Father, for those who are in the midst of a struggle right now, we ask for your grace in their lives and help them to realize that you're constantly at work, even through the toughest of times, that you don't waste a hurt. God, we do pray for our teams that are going out this week to France and to the prisons in Florida. God, uh, may they be grace extenders to people. God, may they be, as they're taking the gospel, God, may they uh, encounter people who have open ears and open hearts. We do pray for all that's going on in our world right now, especially the persecution of people who all they're doing is naming the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would use that persecution to grow the church, even though those who are doing the persecuting think it will kill the church. God, uh, today, as we uh, learn from your word, may we obey it. God, change us today. Make us more thankful. Help us to know what real gratefulness is about. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you haven't shaken hands with somebody, do that on your way down. Well, in honor of Thanksgiving this weekend, um, I thought I would share with you a deeply moving story. <laughs> Written by several housewives who have listed things that they're thankful for. So ladies, this is for you. And everyone else, we can learn from this, okay? They are thankful for dishwashers. Because they make it uh, possible for them to get out of the kitchen before the family comes back in for their after-dinner snack. These housewives said they're thankful for their husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house because that usually makes them big enough to call in the professionals. Some of you are laughing out of experience, I can tell. They are thankful for children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. They're such a joy, you hate to see them go home to their own parents. They're thankful for teenagers because... They give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. <laughs> and they're thankful for smoke alarms because they let you know when the turkey's done. <laughs> As I said, deeply moving story, okay? Well, this week we're going to start by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Let me get that right. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Seasons. Changing seasons. I believe those changing seasons include two that we're going to talk about today. Joy and grief. Most of us could describe how it feels to truly be joyful. And most of us could also describe what it means to feel deep grieving. The emotions of pure grief are deep and cutting, aren't they? And yet the emotions of pure joy are euphoric and skyward. They're complete opposites to us, though, aren't they? Joy and grief. But in God's economy, there's an evenness to life. He doesn't view events the same way that we do. You see, we see good and bad. We see happy or sad. We see joyous or grievous. God views them all 
as parts of life that are growth possibilities. And he uses them for our good and for his glory. Both of them. We're told in Scripture, for instance, to count it all joy. Count it all joy when what? When you are tempted. Count it... Rejoice with those who rejoice. Not when we're rejoicing, with with others who rejoice. And there's an evenness to life. I had a discussion on two separate occasions this past week with two different people who said that they'd been praying and asking God to change their circumstance. But my input to them was that God is not as concerned about changing our circumstances as He is about changing us through our circumstances. This weekend and next, we're going to be looking at these two seasons, joy and grief. Next weekend, we're going to take some time, as we did last year at this time, to grieve together. And each of us will have an opportunity to grieve our losses before God and alongside our fellow Christ followers. Those of you who were here last year know that this was a blessed time as we came together as a church and grieved together. If you weren't here last year, especially if you have suffered loss, the loss of a loved one, a job, a relationship, maybe even a dream, I want you to be sure to make next weekend a priority. But this Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to look at joy. We're going to look at what the Bible tells us about how to respond in times of joy. Especially the art of gratefulness. So we're going to look at a situation in Scripture that I believe we can learn from that will help us know what it means to be truly grateful. It's not complicated. It's just often forgotten and underused. Gratefulness. So if you will, turn in your Bible, if you have it, to Luke chapter 17. Or these Scriptures will also be on the screens. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a great distance and shouted out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now in your uh, worship folder today is your note sheet. There are extensive notes on this sheet this morning. Let me, let me explain. This was a short week and so the, off- the ladies in the office came to me on Tuesday and said, we need your notes this afternoon. This is Tuesday, mind you. We need your notes this afternoon. Well, if you know me, you know I don't have any notes on Tuesday afternoon for what I'm going to say on Saturday. There is no way this is going to happen. So I have shared with you the extensiveness of my brain power as it was on Tuesday. 
which means that you need a pen this morning. So if there's a lady on your row with a big pocketbook, get her to give you one. <laughs> We're going to look at seven things that we see in this passage. And these, you're going to go home and go, well, that was obvious. What did I, what did I bother? He didn't need to tell me that. But we want to piece them together to see what's really happening in this story and see what we can learn from it. Number one, it's right there in your notes. Number one, these men had leprosy. Seems clear? There were ten of them. They had leprosy. It was a disease which at the time had no cure and was believed to be highly infectious. Those with leprosy were actually banished to live by themselves. They were never to see their families, never to experience the joys of intimacy, even a hug. They were never to share a meal together with their families or their loved ones. They were never to really experience the simplest parts of life. For those with leprosy, they were still alive, but their life was over. They were alive, but their life was over. They had leprosy. It says in this passage, they stood far off and called out to Jesus. Number two, they stood far off and they called out to Jesus. Well, they didn't dare come close to Jesus because of number one, they had leprosy. They didn't want to take the chance of moving too far into the village because they'd been banished. Hebrew law forbade lepers to even approach close to anyone else. And it appears that they were at such a distance that Jesus had not noticed them until they shouted out to him. See, they shouted to Jesus in desperation. They knew their need and they weren't afraid to let Jesus know. So you can see this group of ten guys shouting out to Jesus. Number three, what did they shout out? They asked for pity. They shouted out for pity. And this isn't the word as we use it today in a negative and callous way such as, well, I pity that person. Meaning that we can't believe that someone has gotten into the spot that they've gotten in, or at the point in their life, or as Mr. T would say, we pity the fool. That's not the way it's used either. The thing these lepers were asking for, if we dug into the original languages, includes so much more than that kind of callous pity that we would say we would give to someone. It includes compassion and grace and mercy. See, what these men were actually shouting out to Jesus was, Jesus, have compassion on us. Show us mercy. No doubt these men had heard about Jesus' miracles. And they banded together. You can see them kind of plotting. Hey, let's get together. We hear Jesus is on his way to this town. We can probably get close and meet up with him and seek healing. They knew that he could heal them, so they called upon his compassion. Jesus, show us mercy. Show us compassion. Show us grace. They called on his heart of mercy and his heart of grace for the gift that they were asking for. So these ten men with leprosy stood far off and shouted to Jesus and asked for pity. Number four, the thing we see here is that Jesus sees them and hears them and gives them a task. Well, if I'm one of these guys, I'm thinking, whoa, wait, not exactly. So is it what we heard happens? Jesus gives us a task. What's the task? Go and show yourself to the priests. Go and show yourself to the priests. The law provided that in cases of leprosy, where someone believed that they'd been healed, that they'd be inspected by the priests. See, the priests acted as kind of a board of health in the Jewish community. Now, that would have been all it would take to keep me from wanting to be a priest. Guess what? You get to inspect the lepers. Good, thank you, no. 
But Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Why did Jesus do this? Well, because I, Jesus wanted the men to go through the proper channels. Because through the channels, as the priest would declare them as healed and as leprosy free, they could be reinstated into the community. You see, Jesus was far about more than healing the disease. He wanted them to gain their life back. He saw past the discomfort of the disease and what was going on there to a far bigger picture in these men's life. Jesus does that for us, doesn't he? We pray for something that we see as very important, but it's really only this much of the issue. But Jesus wants to work in this much of the issue. He wants to work in far greater ways than we even see as we're praying. And as we call out to Jesus for his mercy and his compassion and his grace, he begins to work in our lives in a far wider respect, a far deeper respect than we even imagined. Jesus cared for them beyond the disease itself, to their lives beyond the disease. Because he knew what these men's greatest need was, was not just, well, I'm now not a leper, but I am now part of my family again. I am part of the community again. And so Jesus uses these lines of authority in their lives and says, go to the priests and show them yourselves. Number five. Next sentence. As they went, they were healed. Didn't happen immediately, did it? You can see the guy whose idea this was going, what's going on here? We've still got leprosy, and he's saying, well, go show yourself to the priests. But these guys had enough faith to where they turned around. You wonder if after a discussion, and they headed off to the priests, and it says, as they went, they were healed. Jesus didn't touch them. He didn't pray for them. You get the impression that he kind of even shouted back at them. Jesus, have pity on us. Go and show yourself to the priests. But they obeyed. And what happened as they obeyed? As they went, the miracle took place. A few weeks ago we talked about miracles, didn't we? This wasn't an instantaneous miracle. See, they had to take the step to turn and go and do what Jesus told them. And while they were going, as they went, they were cleansed. That miracle started to take place. These men began to realize that they were gaining much more than their health now. So much more came along with it. They had gained the opportunity to go back home. They gained their lives back. As they were going toward the priest, they began to notice changes in one another. You can kind of see them. Joe, junk's falling off you. These splotches of skin that had been black because they were dead suddenly began to change back into beautiful living flesh. Sam, you got a nose. I mean, this is what's happening. As this healing's taking place, sores that had been bloody and full of pus were drying up and they were healing before these men's eyes in each other. Perhaps, I wonder, they'd begun their journey by walking and hobbling because of their weak limbs and lack of strength. But the more that they saw this healing took place, I wonder if the faster they started running because they were running home. They were using all their ability to sprint toward home. The only thought in these men's minds must have been, I can go home. I can hug my kids again. I can love my wife again. I am going to live. As they went, they were healed. 
But number six kind of pulls the story back into reality. The sixth thing we see, only one came back. One out of nine returned to Jesus to show his gratitude. One. And interestingly, we see that with the same loud voice that he'd been using earlier to plead for mercy, he used that loud voice to praise Jesus. He had set his des- aside his desire to go to the priest and to go home, to turn around and go thank Jesus. Gratefulness was this man's priority. Yeah, it was a time of joy. All this stuff is happening and he's being healed and he's running toward the priest so he can go home and he's going to see his wife and his kids and be reinstated in his community. But gratitude became his priority. And he turned and went back to Jesus. And shouting out, just like he had, however long this took, shouting out for grace he used to praise Jesus for what he'd done for him. You see, this man realized that if he'd shouted about his need, he was for sure going to shout about the amazing gift that had restored him, had restored his life. And it says he threw himself at Jesus' feet. He didn't calmly go and shake Jesus' hand. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. He didn't do this business. I guess... You can see this man uh, not worrying about his dignity. He hadn't known dignity in years, so he wasn't going to worry about it now. Now his life was changed, completely changed. So he fell on the ground at Jesus' feet in gratitude. How often do we shout out our prayers and God answers and moves and we forget to ever turn around and go back and thank Him? How often do we as someone who's praying for someone else passionately pray for them but then forget to ever follow up to find out what happened? Only one came back. And then I think the saddest part of the story is the seventh thing we see, which is Jesus asks about the other nine. Jesus asks about the other nine. I guess gratitude is rarer than faith, isn't it? See, all ten men had faith. They all had faith to walk away when Jesus told them to, and then they saw the healing take place. But only one lived in real gratitude. Only one. And Jesus asks about it. Weren't weren't there ten that were healed? And only one came back. Well, what happened? Well, I believe they allowed the gift to turn their attention away from the one who gave it. I believe that they got preoccupied with the stuff and forgot Jesus. It's very easy to let the gifts that God or others have given us take up more of our time and receive more of our love than we give to the one who gave the gift to begin with. Sorry, hon, can't spend time listening to how your day went because I'm playing with the new computer game you gave me. 
Sorry, Mom, can't help with the st- dinner or stuff around the house right now because I'm texting one of my friends on the new Blackberry that you and Dad gave me. Sorry, God. I can't spend time reading your word or talking with you today because I'm too busy painting the new house that you gave me. I'm too busy preparing for the new job that you enabled me to get. I'm too busy trying to take care of these children that you blessed me with. That's what happened to the other nine. Matthew 6.33 tells us it's supposed to be this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all this other stuff's going to take care of itself. When we keep our focus on God rather than on the gifts that He gives us, then the level of our thanks will stay high. You see, no matter how great the gift you are going to receive on Christmas Day here in however many shopping days, that gift is eventually going to rust or break or shrink. That's what we'll say happens to it. It shrinks, right? (laughs) Fades or it's going to go out of style or it's for some reason it's going to lose its value or in the case of my house it will end up in the crawl space. One of these days I'm going to have a sale. I'm just going to ask everybody to come over. Go into the crawl space. I don't know what's there. Just go and take something. But that's what happens to it, doesn't it? But the person who gave the gift will remain long after that gift is tucked away in the crawl space. And we have to be sure that our focus is on the value of the one who does the giving and not the value of the gift. It's not difficult to hear the disappointment in Jesus' voice as he says, well, weren't there ten? There were ten men that he healed and only one of them returned to say a simple thank you. Sometimes I think it's good that I'm not God. Because if I'd been in Jesus' shoes, I would have been tempted to undo the healing of the nine. You take for granted what I've done for you? Well, I'll just show you. Bang, there you go. Now you have leprosy back. How's that feel? But Jesus wasn't like that, was he? Even though they were thankless, he was gracious toward them. He showed grace. And he blessed and honored their faith. Even though they had no gratitude. You know, as I've thought about this idea of being a person who gives, gives thanks. In some way, the giving of thanks and the possession of peace are closely tied to one another. Look at these verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious or don't worry about anything. Some of you really need to listen to that. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what will happen? The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and what's the next sentence? And be thankful. Thankfulness, gratefulness, and peace are specifically tied together. I believe it's because giving thanks to God will change your life. It's God's will for your life. It's God's purpose for us as believers. 
Now, I can't say for sure what the connection between peace and thankfulness is. Maybe, maybe thankfulness is an evidence of a contentment which God's given me in my life. Maybe it recognizes that I am not the one in control and therefore I'm not responsible for how my life ends up. What I am responsible for is to be obedient to God and thankful to Him for all that He sends my way. Those who are thankful evidence an attitude of satisfaction with God and with others and with what they've given Him and a recognition of our debt to those givers. The one that feels his own lack of deservedness for the gift of another is the one that I believe will be the most thankful. The story is told of two old friends who bumped into each other on the street one day and one of them looked like something terrible had happened, almost on the verge of tears. So his friend asked, what has the world done to you? And this sad guy says, well, let me tell you, three weeks ago an uncle died and left me $40,000. Well, that's, that's a lot of money. Yes, but two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. Well, his friend said, this sounds like you've been blessed. Well, you don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars. Well, now his friend was really confused. Like some of you, he was adding it up in his mind. Why do you look so upset? The man kind of breathed a sigh and said, This week, nothing. (laughs) That's the trouble with God's regular gifts in our lives, isn't it? That we receive it on a regular basis, and even if it's a gift, we come to eventually expect it. And we don't even notice the gift of the people in our lives, the gift of gifts of God in our life, the grace that He pours into our life. Because we've just kind of become expectant of it. And like this man, well, this week, nothing. You know, beyond being grateful for the good things that God brings in our life, the Bible goes a step further and says that we're to be grateful even when we're not receiving what we would call good gifts. First Thessalonians 5.18 says to give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. For this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. Why all circumstances? Because we can know that God is always at work in our lives. Always able to take even the worst of circumstances and use them to make us more like Christ. In the prayer earlier, we said that God doesn't waste a hurt, does He? He uses them all. That's why we're always to give thanks for all circumstances. Matthew Henry, who is a famous Bible scholar and commentator of the last century, was robbed by thieves one day, and he wrote this in his diary. Listen carefully, because some of this is a way we don't talk these days. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. See, Matthew Henry had understood and learned what it meant to be thankful in all circumstances. 
in all circumstances. God has given us so much already, and he's promised us even more. And we need to learn to be a people who are satisfied with what he has given us. If there is an upside to what is going on economically in the United States right now, is that maybe we will get this. That we will learn to be satisfied. That we will learn to live in community in such a way that we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep, we extend grace to others, that we know what it means to be truly thankful and look to the giver of the gifts rather than at the stuff. See, we forget what we have. There was a man who wanted to sell his home, so he contacted a real estate agent. Apparently, it was not, this is not a recent story because we all know that this is not a good time to try to sell a home. And so he described his house and the yard and the grounds to his agent and asked the agent to write an advertisement and put it so he could put it in the paper. So the agent did as the man requested and he read it back to him. And the man said, read that again. The agent obliged only to hear this astonishing remark. The house is not for sale. All my life I've wanted a home just like the one you described, but I never knew that I had it until I heard what you had written about it. See, we always think there's something better out there. And yet God's poured these gifts and we're distracted by the circumstances and sometimes it just takes somebody to come in and say, do you realize what you have? This is why I always tell people, and I would tell every one of you, go on a mission trip. Go to somewhere and discover what it means to live on 30 cents a day. Go somewhere else and find out what it means to have a tin house or no house at all. Maybe your house is a box leaning up against the wall of a rich person. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Well, I want to share with you just three simple steps, three ways you can show gratitude. Three ways to show gratitude. The first one is obedience to God. Obedience to God. Not a payoff. Not trying to balance things out. But to build ultimately an even greater dependence on God. It's not the return of a favor. This is not, well, the Smiths asked us over for dinner. And so we, in return, need to repay this and have, the, have them over to our house for dinner. Which is fine if you happen to like the Smiths. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a real hard payoff, isn't it? If that's the way that we're thinking about our relationship and obedience to God, it's bad. It's going to be legalistic, it's going to be devastating, and it's not going to honor God. See, when I turn to take another step of obedience, I need not say, well, God helped me in the past, so now I have to do something to pay that back. Rather, we need to say, God helped me in the past, and now I need His help for the very next moment of my life. We can't give God anything, can we? Are we going to pay off the gift of grace? We're not paying back if we're just simply living the way we should. We are depending on new grace to take the next step. And what we end up doing and what we need to be doing is going deeper into debt to God's grace. Don't think of obedience as a mortgage payment. We're not trying to pay God back month to month until we get the debt paid off. Rather, we should think 
that obedience is going deeper in debt to God every moment because it's going to take more grace to be obedient this afternoon than I had yesterday. We'll never get out of debt to grace. I believe that the greatest Christian will be the one who reaches the finish line with the most debt to God. Let's live in obedience to God and show our gratitude through it. Second, we can show gratefulness by giving to others, especially the giving of grace to others. Those who are truly grateful will show grace to others and become God's mechanism for bringing joy into others' lives. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15 says this, It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The word grace here is the Greek word charis. And the word for thanksgiving here is eucharistian. The word charis is in the middle of each of these. They're the same root word. A better translation of the word thanksgiving here would be gratitude. So this verse would more literally read, it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase gratitude to the glory of God. Both of these words have the same root. There's a sense of grace, a feeling of grace toward another person that is the real basis of gratitude. There's a feeling rising uncoerced from our heart. Gratitude is literally a response to grace. As we experience seasons of joy, we should be filled with gratitude. And then that gratitude should literally pour forth from us and pour forth from us in grace that we show others around us. We've received grace, God's unmerited favor, and now we should show it to others. Pastor Jay, a couple weeks ago, reminded us that we need to have an attitude toward others that is showing grace. Let's just show a little bit of grace to one another. Rather than look down our long bony noses at somebody else's situation and to decide that they should have handled it this way or that way, maybe we should just show some grace and care into their lives and let God do the changing from the inside out. So we can show our gratitude through obedience to God and through giving to others, especially giving grace. And number three, we can show our gratefulness by not going back to life as normal. See, we haven't finished the story. The life of this one grateful man would never be the same, would it? And in verse 19, Jesus says to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. He wasn't going back to life as he'd known it, was he? Not now. Life would never be the same. Not since he'd received grace and experienced joy and shown gratitude. Now, this man was going to go back to his village, to his town, and be a grace extender to everyone he met. Those of us who have received grace, in the forms of the people in our lives, in the forms of the good gifts, in the form of salvation that God has given us, should be grace extenders to others. Not evaluators, but grace extenders. As we experience joy, 
Let's be grateful. Let's be grateful and never be the same again. Now I want to give you a real specific way to respond this morning. And I know I'm becoming known as the prop pastor. <laughs> Several weeks ago it was giant boxes and now it's a tree. In your worship folder this morning is a leaf. We're not just being festive, that has a purpose. Some of you have already figured out what the purpose is going to be because two other celebrations have already spent time on this tree. Probably uh, four or five hundred leaves here. Just take a pen, and if you need a pen, there's some up here on the platform. You can come grab one of those. Unless you kept the one from the lady with the pocketbook. Now, if you take one of these, make sure you give it back. If you forget to give it back, you're welcome. <laughs> Write down, take these next few moments, and you notice it's only ten minutes till. So we're going to have extended time here to let all of us do this. Write down those things, those events, those people for which you're grateful over this past year. We're going to participate in the act of worship of building this gratefulness tree together. And some of our tech people have made it easy for you. And they've moved everything up. But if you still want to get on the ladders, that's fine. Some of you don't have any business near a ladder. Okay? Come and add your leaves. There are pins here on the steps. Usually a couple people are gracious enough to help everybody out with those. In a few minutes, we're going to come and we're just going to continue to build this tree. A second way you can respond this morning is next week we're going to be commemorating the lives of those we've lost this past year. So this week, we want to give thanks for the lives of those who we've gained this past year. And maybe you're here this morning as parents and you've received the blessing of a child since last Thanksgiving. So we want you to come and take a carnation from the bucket behind this column and place it in the vase here, giving God thanks for the child that God's brought into your life. And as you do, I want you to take just a moment and pray there, giving thanks for that blessing. And as you do that, I want you to remember that your child had an opportunity that millions of others never had. Because in our country today, we still... Don't give millions of babies an opportunity to ever even experience life. Not only a tragedy, but I believe a sin. Number three, maybe there are people, and here's another way to respond, maybe there are people in this room that you need to go to and thank them for the impact they've had on your life this past year. We're going to be moving all over the place, so go find them. Maybe the person... Number four, that you need to go and tell us had an impact on your life isn't in this room. Here's what we're going to give you. You're going to get permission. Turn on your cell phone and call them. Unless they're in church, because if they're a real good Christian, they won't have their phone on in church. <laughs> and call them up and shock them to death. <laughs> and thank them for the impact that they've had on your life and the blessing that they are in your life. Some are going to be coming and being baptized today. We're going to be taking some time to do this. So as you kind of see the lines for this tree go down, make your way to the baptistry areas and Pastor Steve and the attendants will meet you back there and prepare for baptism here in a few minutes. 
Write down your blessings on these leaves. Take your time. We're not going to rush this. If you're a new parent, come and thank God for the blessing He's given you. Take some time and go to someone else in the room or call them and tell them they've had an impact on your life. Show gratefulness for them. God, may all that we do in these next few moments bring you glory. God, I realize this is just a styrofoam tree and paper leaves. But God, make it an altar for many of us today. God, use these moments as a reminder of the good things that you've poured into our lives. May we be grateful in these times of joy. May we know what it means to live as people who are having grace poured into our lives and allowing it to flow out to the lives of those around us. We thank you that you sent your son so that we could experience joy. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.